podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back and Blitz Month rolls on. This is a guy who I think the very first season of K-State football, we recorded an episode in a brewery where he dropped a bunch of bombs about Brent Venables that didn't have anything to do with him putting hoses in his mouth. He is a man who was on the beat and had an electric relationship with John Curry, to say the least. He's back in the game doing the three mob podcast with John Kurtz and Derek Young it is the man, the myth, the legend. And some would say one of the greatest to ever be on the beat. It is Cole Manbeck. Cole, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to Blitz Month. I think Grant has done Blitz Month and Blitz Week with you the last few times. This is the first time it's been you and me on Bosco's Boys for a while. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing good. It's, uh, it has been a while. I did it last year, but uh, we did the trivia thing last year together. That was a lot of fun when uh, Kurtz, you, me, did all of that. I really enjoyed that. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, speaking of Burnables, Betty's you know, fire out of his mouth may not be the worst thing that happened to him after things that have happened today and transpired and what's going on in Norman. So. Yeah, we we'll talk about we'll is... more, but I'm not a, not a fan of Brent anymore. That's uh, that guy's a train wreck. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, this is not an Oklahoma podcast, but I think any Oklahoma podcast is probably having a lot of content to say say the least. Uh, Brent Venables having to put out two statements. Um, I I don't think things are going too well in Norman. Uh, we might have to have you on to talk about that game in the week leading up to Big Twelve Week One, which. Of course, K-State fans know we'll be on the road, uh, something I don't actually really care all that much about, but maybe we'll talk about that in the future. Before we get into the meat of the show, anyone who is listening this week knows that this week of Blitz Month is sponsored by Manhattan Brewing Company. I'm drinking on the Lazy Pirate New England IPA, which is a juicy, delicious IPA from them. Uh, I, I got to be honest, I, I'm having to, they, they sent me home with a lot of beer. I have to pace myself because they have such a good variety. It all tastes so good. And when, when I was down there recording with Jimmy, it took everything in my power not to go up and grab a couple more beers while he was talking because it's a fun place to be. Cole, I don't know if you've gotten in there, but it, it's space is perfect. And I go to a ton of breweries in the Kansas City area, anytime I'm traveling, Manhattan Brewing stacks up against all of them. The coolest spot, open brewing area, over 15 beers on tap. They have a lot of events going on, so if you're not following them on their social media, you should. A little birdie tells me Stan Weber is going to be hosting a pretty fun event the Friday night before the Missouri game where there might be some legends in the house, so check them out today i i know you're you know a a, a whiskey guy you know shout out to uh, holiday distillery but if, if, if the next time you're in manhattan i'm telling you sneak in there get a four pack before you go tailgate cole 
Well, you and me were just talking about uh, getting together for a drink or a beverage in the near time. I know we were talking about in Kansas City, but we might have to uh, meet up at Manhattan Brewery then because I have not been there, but I've heard really good things about it. So uh, you're right. I'm more of a bourbon guy, but I'm, I'm down to uh, have a couple beers. I just uh, drink too many of them. Hey, th- that's fine. A couple, a couple, and then we'll let you get on their way. And again, Little Birdie tells me, aka, I was in there on Saturday. I was flipping through all their upcoming beer releases. Their pumpkin pie beer is going to be dropping at the end of August. So you know, me and all the pumpkin boys are going to be in there drinking it up. All right, I love Manhattan Brewing Company, and again, they're sponsoring this entire week, and they're sponsoring uh, my beer fridge this week as well. So. Before we get into everything, I want to talk about you because, again, this is the first time we've had you on. Um, you've never been completely removed from the K-State Sports Beat. You've been doing Powercat Game Day. It sounds like you're coming back for another season of Powercat Game Day. But this seems to be like the full first full offseason you've been back in the game. You're over with, uh, at Kansas City Sports Network with Derek Young and John Kurtz on the Three Mod Pod. How much fun has it been chopping it up with those two on a more regular basis and, you know, really staying in the contact game outside of just, you know, football season? You know, I don't have a lot of hobbies outside of working with my kids. I don't do a lot of fun things. And uh, K-State sports and sports in general is really my hobbies. Um, and so when they approached me about this idea back in maybe early March, season was still going on. I didn't really think it would turn into what it has turned into so far in the first four months. You know, initially I was just thinking I was doing a one-off podcast about Bruce Weber, you know, resigning and uh, moving on and then to talk about Brad Underwood and, and some of the information that I had on that front at the time. And so we, we talked about that and had a couple podcasts and then it, you know, KCSN approached me and uh, we made it more of a long-term thing. Um, Struggle to come up with a name of it. I know you, you didn't like your name, Scott, necessarily. Uh, and look, we, we struggled with what we were going to do there. So that was uh, that was a bit of a struggle. Uh, but we did. We went and named it Three Mock uh, after the historic and compare ourselves to the historic uh, run that KSA had in 2012, which was actually my first year off the beat. So I left the KSA beat. Right before the program got number one in the country, I left two months before that, moved into corporate America in Kansas City, and then basketball, obviously, and baseball. Um, I was holding a bit of a grudge with my wife when I moved up here. I thought I was going to miss starting national championship for football, which by all means, I would have loved to have just been a fan for that. I would not have been bitter that I didn't get to cover and could have just been a fan. I would have been thrilled with that. But long story short, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, we, we produced probably more than 30 episodes so far. We've got some fun on uh, but it's, it's doing well. It's, you know, gaining listeners, more people, more people listen. It's, it's nice to uh, follow the greatness of Bosco Boys. You guys have said that you kind of um, had the premier K-State podcast and certainly are still there um, and producing a ton of great stuff. And we're just trying to emulate some of that as well on our end and enjoying there with my friends and John Derek and uh, looking forward to what should be an exciting year for you guys on Bosco boys and us on three mall with what should be a very exciting athletics year for Kansas State with football and basketball. And we've been blessed with a lot of great off-season content. It's not your normal off-season where there's nothing to talk about, nothing in the news. Obviously, we've got a new 
basketball coach. There's been a lot of exciting stuff on the recruiting trail. And then a lot of the exciting stuff on the football recruiting trail uh, with Chris Simon and stuff. And uh, so we've been fortunate in the conference realignment as well. Like, you know, some of this stuff I'd rather not have to talk about, but um, certainly not been short on the content for either one of us. And I, I've said this, and I'm glad that you guys are doing this. I, th- I think that, uh, and anyone who listens to me long enough knows, I have a beef with some of the more national podcasts. And, of course, when you have Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, um, you're not going to get all the K-State football or even basketball talk that you want from the Kansas City Sports Talk Radio. So I'm always trying to tell our listeners, people on Twitter, there's the Three Ma Pod. You know, my friends, the Aggieville Alley Cats, there's, uh, you know, an award-winning student sports talk radio show, Shake and Blake, that does stuff over the podcast. Mitch is doing a great job daily over at uh, K-Man. Uh, Go Paracat has their podcast. It's been the longest-running podcast. The short side option's about to come back. So I don't think that there is uh, enough K-State folks out there. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing it. I'm glad I get to hear you you know, on my podcast feed and get to hear you more than just on Paracat game day and kind of get to hear more than just your losing gambling picks. <laughs> yeah, I've had a, I've had a rough time with some of my picks over the last couple of years, but I completely agree. I think there is certainly more room for great K-State content out there. I know I'm always looking for it. I can't get enough of, of those types of podcasts and listening to them, you know, when I'm exercising or working out, look, you and me are both on Pelotons. I don't even listen I don't even listen to the music when I ride the Peloton, Scott. I uh, I actually listen to podcasts when I'm riding. So that tells you maybe how messed up I am uh, to do that. Which, by the way, I haven't. If you noticed, I know you know I've been tracking my podcast or my Peloton riding. I, I I broke my little toe a month ago. So if that's why you've seen me not on there, uh, I'm not getting lazy on you. I'm about to get back on the track. You're, you're fine. I think maybe you need to go with the scenic rides then, because again, I. I think when I'm riding the Peloton, that's the only time I'm not listening to podcasts. So it's like, you know, I wake up, I, uh, you know, drink some, you know, pre-workout at 4 a.m. I let Chauncey out, let him go to the bathroom. I get down on the Peloton, then I take him on a walk because if that, if this dog sees squirrels or rabbits while we're walking, like he's going to throw my shoulder out. And basically from the time I put him in his harness on a morning walk, anywhere between five, six in the morning to when I log off work, it is podcast only. So uh, we're like the exact inverse of that. So, well, look, I just don't, I don't listen to a lot of music. Like when I'm walking or I'm running or I'm out and about, or even on like two hour drives with my children, I just block them out and put headphones in and listen to podcasts. Like that's, that's what I do. So I, I just not a big, uh, you know, listen to music. I'd rather listen to sports. And when I say podcasts, like I listen to sports stuff. And a lot of it's K-State. It's all local, basically, other than my gambling podcasts I like to listen to. I like to listen to, uh, I like to listen to the Solid Verbal during college football season. I like to listen to Stanford Steve and the Bear on ESPN. Uh, Doug Kazarian has a good show as well that I like to listen to. So those, those are, you know, those are fun for me as well, in addition to Bosco Boys and some of the other K-State podcasts and um, files that we can listen to that are on the radio where they're aired. For sure. And, and hopefully uh, bureaucracy uh, proves me wrong because eventually it's going to be legal to gamble on sports in Kansas. Um, but, you know, state bureaucracy at its finest, <laughs> them dragging their feet. But, hey, 
we don't need to talk about that. That might be another time. Hell, maybe you and I can do a spinoff uh, college football gambling podcast later on this season or maybe next year. We'll talk about that offline. But speaking of Vegas, let's look forward to the season. Why do you think there is such a big disconnect from the expectations Las Vegas has for the uh, Cats, the regional media that has, you know, K-State, you know, voting them fifth in the Big 12 with no first place votes. Like I said, Vegas, it's still, it's, it's, they're trying to get you to, you know, bet the under, but you know, it's six and a half. I think they have, it says six best odds to win the Big 12, uh, we saw what the voting was down in at Big 12 Media Day, but then when you talk to some of the national folks, everyone's saying K-State is a Big 12 dark horse to get to Arlington. Some folks are saying, oh, we, everyone's talking about K-State. They're not a dark horse anymore. You have uh, Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. While they're on my shit list, I don't like either one of them. They both picked K-State to be playing in Arlington as official predictions. Why do you think there is that disconnect from some of the, you know, whether it's Vegas versus the regional versus the national media? Yeah, I really struggle to put my finger on it. And then, you know, this isn't media, but we're recording this on August 8th and the coaches poll comes out today and, and K-State has four votes to be ranked and would have came in at 45th per a tweet from Kellis Robinette. And, I, you know, that that shocked me. Like, I didn't necessarily expect K-State to be ranked, but to only have four votes and to come in at 45th, that is shocking to me, especially when you consider all the love. I'll be very curious how the media poll looks when the AP top 25 poll comes out and where the votes are cast. But that was surprising to me. I don't get it. Like this is as high on the K-State football team as I've been since probably the 2016, 17 year, Scott, when they, uh, they ended up winning the Texas bowl, beating Texas A&M that season had Jesse Ertz and those guys. Um, or maybe it was the, it might've actually been the 2017 season where I was the highest on them and they underachieved. Oh yes. Cause, cause Jesse Ertz friend of the pod was returning. Uh, yeah. He had that infamous game versus Vanderbilt where allegedly someone might've forgotten their play calling sheet had too much <laughs> pride to ask for it for someone else. I don't know. Maybe someone's going to uh, have to ask me about that at a later time, but yeah, I got luck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I got locked in the stairwell. That, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but yeah, coming off of that season, uh, and, and then that loss of Vanderbilt and everything just started to tumble down there. And then Jesse Ertz battled with his health. I'm right there with you. Um, it, it's been so long since we've had that excitement. I just, I, I guess I, I could be accused of having purple shaded glasses. I just, I, I guess I just don't get it when you hear it from some of these national folks. And it just doesn't seem to be trickling down. It almost has me a little worried, like kind of being like, okay, what does the regional folks, what does Las Vegas see that, you know, I don't because I have purple glasses and the national folks don't. You know, it's interesting, though, because I, I feel like Las Vegas has undervalued K-State several different times in their preseason betting pools. It'd be interesting, Scott, and I don't know if you've done it to look back at the over-unders year by year and see where they had K-State and where the Wildcats ended up. Because I do feel like there's been a couple different times over the last few years where I've just been like, hammer it, hammer the over. Like they had them at five and a half, I recall. It might maybe Chris Kleiman's first year, they were at five and a half or somewhere along those lines. I'd have to double check it, but yeah, five they, and a half for Kleiman's first year and last year as well. I don't have the COVID season in front of me. Yeah. So see, they, they easily, they, they surpass those numbers easily. Um, so I don't put a lot of stock into that. I mean, I would hammer the over again at six and a half. Um, 
and I think it might even be a juice line, Scott. I'm not sure if it's like minus 200, 230, somewhere along those lines. 176 but is the last. 176, yeah. So that's that's a pretty juice line. So that's trying to, you know, they probably feel better that K-State's definitely going to go over the six and a half, um, trying to get some value on the under. Uh, but look, I would, I would crush that line. Um, I don't know what the disconnect is here because this is clearly, this is Chris Kleiman's most talented team. Like when we were in, we went to Dallas for the three mall pod. I, I tagged along with Derek at K State Online, and we went down there to Big Twelve Media Days to Jerry World, and it was echoed throughout. The common sentiment was K State's a dark horse to win the Big Twelve. A lot of people down there were talking about K State. Coach Kleiman acknowledged that this is his most talented team, but was knocking on wood that as long as they stay healthy, that's obviously the key thing because depth is where it can become problematic. But from top end talent, I think this is this is Chris Kleiman's best team. And just a ton of returning guys, like the All-American list from Pro Football Focus, Pro Football College, their team, you know, K-State had what was sixth overall in All-Americans. Now one of them was Malik Knowles, a special teams guy, but still, I mean, you're, you're right behind the power programs at college football. You led the Big 12 in All-American selections of Pro Football Focus's college team for All-Americans. So, Clearly, a lot of people think highly of them. K-State led the, the preseason Big 12 selection team with, with six guys, right? So it's not adding up. It, it's, I don't understand it, but I feel very good about this team. As long as Adrian Martinez stays healthy, Deuce Vaughn clearly has to stay healthy. That, that's the thing. I always get nervous in fall camp, when they call it fall camp, in August, because the only the only thing I ever feel like I hear about in the news, I just don't want to hear anything. Because usually when I do hear something or see a name's player name of a player appear on the message boards, it's usually bad news of something happening on the injury front. So that's where I become nervous. But they have some key guys they really can't afford to lose. We talked about it off air, and that's where my concern lies. But if they can stay healthy, I, we'll talk about predictions here in a little bit. I, I feel really good about this team. For sure, and you mentioned it. Uh, sadly, it was T- Taylor Portier last year. Uh, Connor Riley, the Condor, and shout-out to Manhattan Brewing. This isn't the second time I'll do an ad read for them, but they have a uh, double Imperial IPA named the Condor after Coach Riley who helped brew, uh, helped brew that. But he, he was talking before Taylor's injury last year about how he was the guy, not Cooper Beebe, was the one who had All-American potential, NFL draft pick potential. So, who knows what we could have accomplished last year without that injury. So I'm going to be holding my breath throughout the entire month of August. And I'm always going to call it fall camp, no matter, no matter how much Callis tries to get me to stop. Uh, but let's move <laughs> into this one because I, I think it might go hand in hand with what we were talking about, because one of the big, uh, you know, big 12 storylines, when you talk about national attention, when you talk about, you know, those preseason polls, Basically, every All-American and All-Conference list kind of has both Bajan Robinson and Deuce Vaughn, one, two, two, one, back and forth. And when you look at the stats and when you look at everything, and again, I'm, I'm asking you if I'm just looking at these through my purple glasses, Deuce Vaughn, I, I think is maybe not the runaway, but he is the obviously better player, more yards per touch, more touchdowns, et cetera. I, I, I fail to see a single stat or a thing that you can point to and say, Bajan Robinson is a better running back except for the logo on the helmet is it is it as simple as you know one player is a longhorn one is a Texan or a Texas or one is a wildcat and that's why one of them is a top 10 favorite for the Heisman 
One is the preseason, you know, player of the year in the conference. The other guy you can get great odds on. The other guy is, while unanimous, not on that pedestal. Is it as simple as the Texas brand carrying Robinson for, forward? Well, I certainly think you could you could make a case that that's part of it. I think another part of it is just the the size aspect. NFL. You look at Bijan Robinson. He's the former five star kid. He's a prototypical running back size. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be a first round pick because running backs just don't get taken in the first round. It's a rarity nowadays for that to occur. But I think a lot of it's just looking at that because if I take that aspect of out of it and I just look at the numbers and I do the eye test when I watch these guys play, I'm taking Deuce Vaughn. And, and that's not just me being biased. I think Deuce Vaughn is the more complete back. He's more versatile. He's a better receiving back. Now, Bijan can be somewhat effective in the screen game, but Deuce Vaughn can, can take a pass. He can run an angle route. He's such a good route runner and knows how to read the defenses and to break off a certain route and just trust the quarterback and get the ball to that spot and then make plays in space. I'd, I'd take, I'd take Deuce. Like, I just think he's the more explosive player. Um, love everything about the kid. And, you know, I mean, just what a great representative for Kansas state. Like he's a dream kid. You know, you had Darren Sproles here, who was a great kid, and, and now you got Deuce Vaughn, who's just perfect. I mean, he could have entered the tran- – I've talked about this before. He could have entered the transfer portal, and he could have made a killing. He could have went out to bid. And he didn't do that, and he stuck by – it's a great family. You know, his, his parents have done a heck of a job raising him. You know, we got to interview him at Big 12 Media Days, and uh, that was really my first time getting to interact with him face-to-face because, as you mentioned earlier, I've been – out of the game in terms of being in press conferences and everything. And so like we do power kick game day, but you know, I'm not in those press conference rooms with the guys getting to interact with them and just getting to, to talk to deuce for 15, 20 minutes and then talk to him kind of off to the side later on. Uh, just so humble, uh, charismatic and just a, a great young man. And uh, K-State's very fortunate to have him just not only on the field talent, but off the field, I'm taking him, over Bijan for many reasons and and truly I just think he's a better player for sure and honestly when you when you look what he's been able to accomplish at K-State I don't see how anyone who has you know that ability to be a true playmaker out of the running back spot wouldn't be crawling on hot coals to come to K-State but maybe you hit the nail on the head was raised right by a family that values things that goes beyond you know, the surface level of what sort of NIL deals you can get, what sort of gear you can get trying to pimp out, you know, the future and the present of their son and that type of stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting. I don't know. But Deuce Vaughn really is exactly (laughs) what you want at a running back. And I think K-State is a spot where running backs can come to flourish. And you know what? I think uh, I think there's a running back down in Florida who's going to prove that. And, hey, there's a couple of guys in the backfield behind Deuce that will get their time here in the future as well. But there's one thing I want to ask you before we get to the prediction segment. And, you know, I kind of want to put on my Palp- Palpatine, you know, hood, you know, welcome you to the dark side cackle and you know with my Sith energy uh, because you've been mixing it up with Iowa State fans on Twitter this offseason is there just a case of delusion up in Ames or do you think they truly believe they've surpassed K-State for good despite never having a 10-win season despite coming off a 7-6 and season which had their best team in the history of the Iowa State football program well First of all, Scott, when uh, when I was really wrestling with Iowa State fans on Twitter, I was actually in COVID protocol 
that weekend. Uh, so I had tested positive for COVID. I didn't have really any symptoms. I just knew I was exposed and uh, was isolating. And my my wife and kids had gone down to the lake for the weekend to get away since I had tested positive. I had not exposed them, fortunately. So it was a perfect time for me just to have some fun with Iowa State fans. So I had a lot of time to, to do research on Iowa State football. And look, here, here's how it all started. Uh, the Cyclone Fanatic guys, they heard us make a joke about Iowa State football on our Three Mall podcast. We talked about it for 30 seconds, and then somehow it got picked up by the Cyclone Fanatic guys, and then they talked about us for 15 minutes and then poked fun at K-State and threw a bunch of inaccurate, completely in, you know, misinformation out there around K-State football, comments like K-State hasn't been anything since Bill Snyder, K-State hasn't been anything since the late 90s, et cetera. So I just disputed all those facts, quote tweeted everything they said, and uh, those tweets certainly blew up. I think one of them had a I think one of them, I was checking the impressions just for fun at one point, and it had like 280,000 impressions on Twitter. Uh, so I knew the Iowa State fans were all over it. They were all in my mentions. And now I regret that you got me to talk about this because you baited me into it. They're going to somehow hear this podcast, Scott, and we're going to get brought up on Cyclone Fanatic again. And uh, look, I, I didn't mean to divert from the topic of that, but we did have some fun trolling them. And as far as Iowa State, like, yeah, I don't know where the arrogance comes from. That's one of the things they said about us when they talked about us on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast is where does K-State fan, where do they get the arrogance to act like they're so elite? Well, where does Iowa State think they get the arrogance? Like they said some very outlandish things, never winning 10 games in a year. You mentioned it. I think I, I researched their like eight win seasons matched what K-State's had. In program history, Iowa State had like eight win seasons as many times as K-State's had them in like the last 12 or 13 years. I mean, insane numbers where it's a program that has been for the most part terrible. And I just, I just think Matt Campbell's overrated. Like he's just not, they, they treat him like a God up there, but you know, outside of the COVID year season when they won nine games and they were very fortunate to got hit with COVID and have guys miss, miss games. I mean, they just, they've been underachieving for the most part. So I don't know. They, they, they seem to think they're better than they are. What's wild about like the series between K-State and Iowa State is you look at it, it's like, okay, they've beaten Snyder three times while he's obviously checked out 04, 05 in 2018. They only went one and two against Ron Prince, and then they beat our JV squad, you know, during the COVID season. And then, you know, last season, I mean, that counts. So, I mean, I guess like if you're really wanting to give them credit since 19, what, since 1990? Like we'll throw in that 93 game. They've only won like two games that K-State was even trying to win. I mean, that's wild. Well, and, and then you look back at the 2018 game that was Bill Snyder's last, right? And what a unique situation that was for me and I think a lot of K-State fans. I was in the press box in Ames, which by the way was leaking. The plumbing system was leaking on people's computers in the press box, but that's, that's a great facility they got there. Uh, and so... Look, K-State up three, what, 18 points, I believe. And they were going to become bowl eligible with that win. Look, it's a lot of fun to beat Iowa State. It was a very difficult position to be in because, look, we we knew it was best for Bill Snyder to move on at that point. And we had gotten indications, everyone in the media, that he was probably going to step aside. But where my fear ultimately lied was if they 
won that game. He hadn't announced yet that he was retiring. They get to a bowl. This thing drags out another four weeks and they don't make a move on another coach. And then maybe Bill fights it and talks his way into coming back and recruiting, you know, goes down. That, that was my fear in watching that game. And now looking back on it, I, God, I wish, wish they hadn't blown that lead. I wish Bill would have just said he was retiring before that game and K-State would have curb stomped him like they were on track to do uh, because that's just another win that Iowa State's touting now as if they made some massive accomplishment when they were down, I think, 35 to 17 or whatever the score was in that one. And, you know, yeah, like 2019, it's like Iowa State fans forget that Chris Kleiman beat them by 10 when I think Iowa State was favored in 2019 in Manhattan uh, in that bitterly cold game, uh, really windy. Uh, and then obviously the 2020 game, K-State down 30 guys with, you know, the COVID year. Uh, last year is really the only time that Matt Campbell's really delivered a, a big blow to K-State. I mean, they dominated that game. So give them credit for that. But yeah, outside of that, I, there's not some big gap between Matt Campbell and Chris Kleiman. And they act like there is. They act like they've dominated this series when really they've won two straight games, but one of them was the COVID year. Yeah, for sure. And and that's that's what makes that, uh, you know, October 8th game massive. And I won't rehash my disappointment that I'll be going to a wedding that day. Uh, but it's time for predictions, and I'm excited to get you on the record. Before we do, again, this week of Blitz Month is sponsored by Manhattan Brewing Company. I've already drank this entire 16-ounce can of the Lazy Pirate Juicy New England IPA. After we wrap up, I'm going to grab another one before I call it a night. If you're in Manhattan, check them out. They have the greatest space to drink craft beer in the entire city. And then grab a four-pack before you head down to Bill Snyder Family Stadium to tailgate. And drink all four of those before the game. Don't go out there during halftime. But check them out. Again, be tuned into their social media. Because they have all sorts of fun events going on all August long. And also, we'll be going live. If you're listening to this on release day, we'll be going live Wednesday, 7 p.m. on ColorCast. I'm sorry. I don't know what sort of news might drop. Uh, we're going to talk about RJ Jones, the four-star commitment, the second top 80 prospect that Tang brought in. We might hit big 12 overs and unders. You just got to pay attention to the Bosco's boys, Twitter account, and I'll let you know the topic list, but let's get into it. Uh, this is the first time since we started uh, doing blitz month and blitz week, there are no qualifiers on this question. So Cole, who is going to be the offensive MVP? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with uh, Deuce. Uh, it's such a, I know that's an easy cop out. Yeah, I think he's he's the best player on this team. He's going to get the most touches. So that that's who I'm going to go with. I think he's obviously the most versatile in the passing game. I think Adrian Martinez is going to utilize him a lot in the passing game, just like Skylar Thompson did. And the other thing is, Scott, like with them going to this a little more up-tempo offense where they're probably going to increase by 10, 11 plays a game, I think Deuce is going to be on the field even more snaps and they, they don't have a ton of spots to back him up. You know, they don't have a Joe Irvin this year. Now, like there's optimism that DJ Giddens and Anthony Frias could step in and, you know, help out there. But I think especially early on, I think Deuce is going to be taking the majority of these snaps, even in the more up-tempo offense. They'll have to find a way to get him a break every now and then. But because of that, I think he's going to have an even better statistical season this year. And yeah, I think, I think he's the guy, um, so that, that would be my easy answer. Now there's, you know, some dark horse guys, but Deuce is who I'm taking as MVP. And I think 
most would agree, and you can tell me I'm wrong if you disagree, most would have Adrian Martinez as being that number two guy. So I'll, I'll follow up asking this. Who's going to be the third horseman alongside Deuce and Adrian? You know, look, I would love for it to be Malik Knowles. Um, I, I'd love to see him have that breakout year. He, he's kind of taken gradual steps. The last year, he took a step to where he was more consistent, more reliable, and he stayed healthy, which is really the most important thing for him, that his availability was significantly up last year compared to years past. But I'm going to go with Phillip Brooks. You know, he's just been the reliable guy at the receiver position, kind of unheralded, but finds ways to make plays, not only in special teams, but at the receiver position, probably their more consistent, their most consistent player. And when we had Adrian Martinez on the three mall pod back in, I think it was, it was late May. He talked about Phillip Brooks. That was the first name that came out of his mouth as a guy that's really stood out at the receiver position. So it seems they have a chemistry um, and a bond and, and look, it, it seems like they're, they're feeling better about the wide receiver position in general than maybe many expected, including myself. So I, I think Brooks is, is that third guy. And again, with Philip Brooks, I, I think everyone agrees. I think with the tools Malik Knowles has, that's probably who we all want it to be. But Philip Brooks over his career, I think has probably been more consistent than anyone gives him credit for. So uh, I, I'm, I luckily I'm just asking the questions. I'll have to answer all, all of these before uh, the season kicks off, but he right now is probably where my gut is leaning towards. Um, let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. Again, I didn't put any qualifiers on this one because while you do have the preseason big 12 player of the year, I think there's a couple candidates you can go with this. So who do you think is going to be the defensive MVP? Yeah. So I think the, the obvious answer would be Felix, right? But I'm going to go with Daniel green. Um, I, I love Daniel Green. He took a big step last year, 16 tackles for loss. He flew all over the football field, um, you know, and he made a quick decision that he was going to come back to Kansas State. I, I was actually a little bit surprised he made such a quick decision before the year was even over. He'd already announced that he was planning to come back to K-State. He's older, um, so I thought he might give a shot at the NFL draft. But, you know, you watch Daniel Green. It's a kid that was a high-profile recruit coming in. It's been a long journey to get where he is and just love the way he's elevated his game. And he's also just so key to this defense because they don't have a lot of linebacker depth, right? We've talked about that off air as well. Uh, they cannot afford to lose a guy like him. And I just think with Eli Huggins back at the nose tackle position, so many guys back up front that are going to help keep offensive linemen off of Daniel Green, that he's going to be able to fly around and make plays. Uh, so that's who I would go with as the defensive MVP. Plus, I think Felix is really going to be keyed in on and double team so he might not put up the numbers that he put up last year and there is I don't know if it's a curse but if you look at defensive ends in the past from K-State uh, a lot of them struggle to really follow up that prolific you know underclassman or junior season with a big upperclassman or senior season so we'll see what happens there um, if you're going to do a dark horse MVP for uh, the defensive side of the ball I would say that, uh, you know, Felix does not qualify for this one, but if you're yep. going with a dark horse MVP candidate, who would it be on defense? Yeah, Nate Matlack. Uh, look, this might catch a few people by surprise. He had, I think, three, three and a half sacks last year, but I thought he showed flashes. I love the kid's potential. You know, he's six foot five, uh, now closing in on 250 pounds. We asked the coaching staff, we asked Chris Kleiman and others about his potential. I think, he could be a guy that has 
a Felix like breakout year this year um, and take that next step. Now I'm not saying he's going to get to 12 sacks, but I also think Felix is going to command so much attention opposite him that I think Nate Matlack's going to have the opportunity to capitalize. And I, he's a very talented kid who's got potential NFL future as he continues to put on weight and muscle. And so I think he can capitalize on Felix distracting from him and, and have an eight, nine sack type season, 10 sack season, potentially I'm really high on Nate Matlack. Yeah. And I think that we could start to see, I don't know if pipeline's the right word, but I think you're eventually going to see two back-to-back drafts that are going to feature K-State defensive ends going in the top half of the NFL draft. Um, Let's get to this one again. I switched it up a little bit this year, no qualifier on age, but who do you think is going to be your breakout player of the year on offense? Yeah. So it's RJ Garcia for me. Uh, Like we've heard the coaching staff talk him up, praise him as well. We had a, not only the players down in Dallas talking about RJ Garcia, but we had Wyatt Thompson on the podcast and Wyatt's great, as you know, Scott. And he, he talked at length about RJ Garcia, about how excited he was to see him and him take that next step. And we heard praise about RJ Garcia last year um, as a freshman, and he got some minimal snaps. I think he played against KU and appeared in a couple other games, but not anything meaningful or significant. And a guy, I just think he's, you know, a really good route runner. He's consistent. They really like him. And it's, I, I just see him taking the field a lot more. Chris Kleiman actually uh, talked about him today as a guy as well, that's standing out at the receiver position. So I like him to be that breakout guy and it's at a position of need. I mean, they need another guy to step forward outside of Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks. I like Cade Warner and he's reliable, but it would be nice to have another more explosive guy step forward at the receiver position. I think that he has the potential to do that. I'll give you guys another shout out. That show you had with Wyatt Thompson, I think might be the best show you guys have had on three mile. You've had some great guests, but listening to Wyatt kind of let down his metaphorical hair uh, because, you know, he's uh, hair challenged, you know, but there's something about, you know, sexy bald men in K-State, you know, with him, Brian Smoller, you know, Ian Campbell in that pregame show on kstahd.tv. There's something about the sexy balds at K-State, but he talked up RJ Garcia and that was one of your guys' best shows. So a little plug for that. Um, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Who's going to be the breakout star on defense? Yeah. So look, he, he hasn't, he just got here spring ball, but it's a big position in need where K-State needs someone to step forward. I'm going to go with Kobe Savage. He's a Juco transfer um, out of Texas. Obviously, you know, Gavin Forsha, his teammate, Justice Clements as well. Another teammate of his at the Juco level from Tyler junior college, joining him up here. Um, all in the same signing class, kind of late ads. But Kobe Savage was here for spring ball. And we heard his name pop a lot at media days. And then also, again, came up today in Chris Kleiman's press conference, recording us on August 8th. Um, A guy that's really stepping forward. I think they like him. I feel more comforted in calling him a breakout because I just because of the fact he was here for spring practice. So he's had an opportunity to pick up the system. And in this 3-3-5 defense, they're so reliant on safeties. And they lost so many guys, Ross Elder, Jaron McPherson. Um, gosh, why am I blanking? Russ East. Oh, how could I forget the guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Russ East. Well, seventh round draft pick, Russ East. Yeah, how, how could I forget the guy that got drafted? Uh, so you lost three starting safeties, essentially. Now, TJ Smith is back, and you hope he takes the next step and becomes more consistent. He struggled at times last year. 
but I think Kobe Savage is a guy that's going to step in and has a chance to break out and shine for this defense, really at a position they need him to step forward at. And he did win that prize fighter award for week one of camp. I'm not really sure what that means. I think probably just means he had a good week in camp, but he does get to get that sewn on his uh, practice Jersey. This is my favorite question. I think it'll always be my favorite question. Even when Bosco's voice dies, I'm going to resurrect blitz month and just ask all my friends who cover K-State sports this question. What is going to be the pendulum game of the season? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times when I answer this question and when I've done this with you guys in the past, I usually pick a game very early in the year. Last year, when I did it with Grant, I picked the Stanford game right out of the gate because I thought it was so critical to momentum and getting off to a good start. Uh, I picked Stanford and and it certainly was a great game for K-State, but you know, and I think a lot of people would be tempted to take Missouri, right? Because that's the big first big non-con game going to be a sold out crowd, going to be an electric atmosphere. And it's an important game. The other thing I think people will look at is they'll think about OU because it's the big 12 opener and it can dictate where things go in the future moving ahead. If you can snag a huge win in Norman, right? But I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going with any of those. I'm actually going with the Iowa state game in Ames. So look, the OU game, it'd be a huge win. Like, but I don't, K-State doesn't need to win at OU to still have a really good year. Like they could, if they go to Ames and win, so let's say K-State goes three and O in the non-con drops the game in Norman, but then they go to Iowa state and win. They're sitting at four and one. And then they got TCU after that. Right. And actually I think they got Texas tech. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They've got tech after OU. I'm just looking at the schedule again, Scott. So I got ahead of myself there. I think they'll handle tech. So they will be four and one. And then Iowa state on the road chance to get to five and one, you get to five and one. Who's not taking that when you look at the schedule. So I think the Iowa state game is the pendulum game. And also we just talked about how they've been a pain kind of the last couple of years. It'd be great to shut their fans up um, and to, for Chris Kleiman to go up there and, and win that game, you know, Iowa state's going to be fired up because they, they treat K state like it's their super bowl. Um, and then you've got, so after the Iowa state game, you've got the buy to kind of recollect yourselves and get everybody healthy too. And that's the other thing going into the TCU game after that, so I, I just feel like the Iowa State game is really that swing game. The OU game is huge, but you don't have to win that to, you know, win nine or ten games. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you because, again, I, I, I think that if you, if you can find a way to be five and one going into that bye week, you're going at TCU, a game you should win, and then you're staring down the barrel of a five-game stretch, three at home, two on the road, back-to-back games, homecoming versus Oklahoma State, possibly the last time you get Texas at home, and then away at Baylor, away at West Virginia, and then KU after Thanksgiving. Again, you get to five and one. The ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say, and I think that's going to set up for some pretty lit games in Bill Snyder Family Stadium end of October, early November. Uh, But let's get to it. This is the big one. And it is after the first week, so I I do have to put this out there. This is your official prediction. If I hear you changing it up, I have to legally sick the boneheads on you to possibly break a kneecap. So answer this one with as much brevity and importance as it, you know, needs. What is K-State's record this season? 
Well, first of all, I mean, I don't want to go back to the record books. We'd have to go back and listen to the podcast, but I do believe I was one of the optimists in Chris Kleiman's first year. I think I picked him seven or eight games to win. Um, a lot of people thought I was probably being too optimistic and generous when I did that. And I, you know, look, I, I think, I think it's a team I'm, I'm going to lay it out here that they're going to go nine and three Scott. So that's the record I'm going to stick with. Not going with eight and four. I think this is going to be the most regular season wins that Chris Kleiman gets. I think they take the next step forward and they get to nine and three. And I think it's important that they do that, Scott, because with this roster, I think it's key that Chris Kleiman has his best season that he's had to date. If they only win seven or eight games with this team, you start to wonder, is that the ceiling under Chris Kleiman? If you have this rock, because look, you look at next year's team, a lot of things can happen in the transfer portal. They could add some big names and be right back at it but looking at it right now this is their chance to really make a mark and have that big season next year is looking more like a little bit of a rebuilding year you'd be happy with maybe six or seven wins as things sit today again that could change with transfers added and and different recruiting wins etc but they need to get to nine plus wins this year in my mind um and so that's that's the record i'm going with i love this team as long as everybody stays healthy that's the record I think Kansas State gets to. So if you're at nine and three, that puts you right on the cusp of possibly wearing white in Arlington. Does K-State get to wear white in Arlington? And if not, who is playing down there in that first Saturday in December? <laughs> so it's it's interesting that the, the questions were in this order because I, I had it jotted down nine and three for K-State. And the next question to championship and I'm thinking maybe I need to adjust the record because I really want to put K-State in the Big 12 championship but I don't think at nine and three they're going to get in because I think they're going to go three and oh in the non-con and so that means I've got them going six and three in the Big 12 you know depending on tiebreakers maybe but it's a long shot at six and three that they would get in to the Big 12 championship so you know as I thought about it like I hate to say this because they underachieve every year um but I'm probably higher on Texas than I've been in the past with Ken Quinn Ewers at the quarterback position, Xavier Worthy back, Bijan Robinson. I think Texas probably does take a step forward this year. And I, I've got them making the Big 12 championship. And then my boring pick, the preseason favorite, Baylor, even though they lost a lot, I like Dave Aranda a lot, have a ton of respect for him and just the consistency of his program. So I'm taking Baylor, Texas. I gag when I say that with Texas, um, but I'm not as high on OU. Like, look, I just, I think Brent Venables is going to struggle. Um, and that's why, partially why I like K-State being the first Big 12 game. Not to get off topic, but the first Big 12 road game coming right out of the gate, K-State playing at OU, because I think OU could get off to a slow start this year. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if OU lost at Nebraska in week three. And that's not a compliment to Nebraska, but more so just an indictment of what I think Brent Venables is going to do at OU. I was running my mouth on uh, the K KSO message board saying that I think Oklahoma is going to pound Nebraska, mainly because I think Nebraska is going to suck. So, uh, and I also don't want to face Oklahoma coming off of a loss. So I hope they win that one. But uh, that's you know that we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I'll also say this: since you picked Baylor, um, you haven't had the chance to listen to it, but. Uh, and it's a long one. So anyone who uh, hasn't, I know it's a long one, but listen to my conversation with Jimmy from yesterday on Tuesday, the ninth is when it drops at four 30 in the morning. Um, he has a very passionate uh, 
stance of why Baylor should not be the favorite and why people should not be picking them to go to Arlington. So Cole, you're going to have to listen to that. You might want to text me and be like, all right, fuck it. K-State 10 and two uh, with Oklahoma state or Texas or someone, uh, because I, it changed my mind. I do not think Baylor's going to go to the big 12 championship. So, well, so, so about that, uh, you look, I'm in a, I'm in a group text with Jimmy and uh, he did mention that Baylor, I think only has what 20% of its starting offense, defense back when you look at all the different stats and the metrics, right? And look, my position on Baylor initially when the preseason Big 12 poll came out and we were talking about on the Three Mall podcast was, why is Baylor number one? Like, why is that the consensus pick that they're the preseason favorite? And I know I'm sounding hypocritical here because I just said Baylor, but I think that was, you know, more of a lazy pick and me just buying into Dave Aranda over time, to be honest. But I pushed back on Derek and John about Baylor just because as I was thinking through their roster, how much they lost, they lost like the defensive side of the football, like Jalen Petrie made that defense thrive. He was such a weapon. Well, he's now in the NFL. They, they lost Tyquan Thornton. He's in the NFL now. Now again, like they, they lost their running backs. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name that converted from linebacker to running back, but he was one of the best running backs in the big 12 last year. Um, I know they have a good offensive line, defensive line. They everyone likes to say it starts up front. But yeah, they lost a ton of guys. So I could easily see a case that Baylor does not make the Big 12 championship. The bottom line is I think the Big 12 is more wide open than it's been in a long time. And a lot of that is because Lincoln Riley is no longer in Norman. And he's kind of had a stranglehold. They've been in the Big 12 championship, I think, every year since 2015 through last year. And now he's gone. And I don't think OU is going to end up in the Big 12 championship this year. So it's wide open. Oklahoma State lost a lot of guys too. So I, I don't know. Like, look, I could easily make a case for K-State going to the Big 12 championship. But and this for now, also might be like, the year I, a six and three team does make it to Arlington. It might be yeah, kind it, of like a pile up with some tiebreakers. It, you, you make a good point because as we talk about how wide open this league is, there could be a jumbled up mess at the top of the standings where there is three or four teams that are sitting there at six and three uh, and the tiebreaker might ultimately go to K-State. Right. And so I could certainly see a case for that occurring uh, because it's so wide open. There's not going to be any clear cut team that's going to dominate this league. And then finally, the, you know, the last question has kind of been a bummer the last couple of years, the uh, 2021 or 2020 season, it was how many of the scheduled 11 games will K-State even play, or maybe it was the 10 scheduled games K-State would play. Uh, last year was kind of a Debbie Downer uh, question about, you know, the future conference mates of K-State. It's the same question this year, but it is a lot more fun because it isn't the Big 12 getting rated. So who is going to be or how many teams are going to be in the Big 12 in 2024? And then let's push it out one year further also and in 2025. So 2024, OU and Texas are contracted to still be in the Big 12. Just clarify that for me, Scott. Yes. So like, I, I don't think, I don't think they're going to leave early. I, I might be in the minority of thinking that, but I, I just feel like they're probably going to stick it out at this point and stay in the big 12 through 2024. Um, now with the PAC 12 situation and their, their contract ending, right. They like some of those teams could jump ship um, by 2024 and potentially be in the big 12 for now. I'm going to say 14 um, in the big 12 in 2024 we had we had Brett McMurphy on the three mile pod recently, and you know he he ultimately thought that 
the Big Ten is probably going to stand pat over the next couple of years. And as a result, the Pac-12 might stay intact at the 10 teams currently, or maybe they'll add San Diego State and another team. I get so tired of thinking about realignment. It's an exhausting topic. I'm sick of talking about it every year. I just wish it would go the hell away. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I'm just not as passionate about realignment. But I, I just ultimately think that it'll be 14 teams. It'll be the, the current four that are being added, OU and Texas. Um, I think ultimately the, the Pac-12 probably stays together at this point. But we'll see. I mean, a lot's going to unfold over the next few weeks with the TV contracts and the Big Ten announcing when they announce their TV deal that could swing things. Right. And then, you know, does ESPN overpay for the PAC 12, the negotiating rights window, et cetera. I know you follow this stuff closely, Scott. I mean, I'm curious, what, what do you think? I keep going back and forth. I keep going back and forth. I have like an outstanding bet with Derek young. Uh, I didn't think that uh, OU and Texas would get out, but then I started thinking, all right, you know, uh, if you grab those four teams, maybe you do let them leave early. I've been all over the place. Currently, I'm kind of where you're at. I think the Pac-12 is going to sign a short-term grant of rights because Oregon and Washington aren't going to sign anything long-term. So for 2024, it'll be the uh, 14 teams. 2025, it'll be 12. And then we're just going to do this again in 2027, 2028, um, which ironically is still going to be before the ACC grant of rights are up. So I I think we're going to go through this song and dance at least two or three more times before we land on whatever the quote unquote new normal is. I would just say like, look, if you could get the four corner schools and just get to to 16, I would be fine letting OU and Texas leave a year early if needed to get to 16 teams in this league, just for the balance and the ease of scheduling. And I would feel much better about the long-term longevity and stability of the big 12 if they could get to 16 and, and add those schools. So that would be my hope is that that's what occurs. Like I know Arizona hasn't been great um, on the football field the last few years. And some of those teams you'd be adding, not necessarily great, but the bottom line is you're adding, I, I believe four top thir- three top 30 TV markets. If you factor in Denver, Salt Lake city, Phoenix, right. And a couple of those are top 20 in TV market size. Right. So I would be in favor of that. And uh, like, I ultimately, that, that's what I hope happens. And it'd be some fun road trips. I mean, I'd love to go back to Boulder. You know, it's a beautiful place. I'd love to go to Tempe. And I've been to Salt Lake for the NCAA tournament to try to forget that Butler game. Um, but it's a beautiful city, a beautiful, clean city in Salt Lake. You just got a little bit of a struggle to find where to get some, uh, some beverages. So that, that is true. Um, I think, and I'm, I'm pulling it up. Whether or not they're in the conference, we will be back in Boulder, Colorado in 2027, and we will be going to Arizona in 2025. So, I mean, if if stuff gets uh, moved around, we might have some, uh, you know, non-conference openings in those two seasons, but we will wait and see. So that's all we have. We have you on the record for Blitz Month. Now, uh, plug anything you guys are doing at 3MAR or anything on your personal Twitter account. The floor is yours, my friend. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to think what we have, you know, look, look, you guys at Bosco Boys, us at 3 Mile, I think we're all looking forward to what's going to be a huge year for K-State football, and we're going to produce a bunch of shows for everybody. I know you guys are going to do the same. Uh, Hopefully, we have a ton of content for everyone to listen to. I think everyone should listen to both pods, 3 Mile and Bosco's Boys. Um, You know, we're going to do preseason shows 
pregame shows every week that'll probably become available. We're still in the planning stages over the next couple of weeks. We'll probably be available a couple of days leading up to the game on our platforms um, for the pregame. And then we'll do the postgame and we'll have some guests. You know, we sprinkle in guests. I don't think anyone wants to hear Derek, John and I talk and babble on consistently. So uh, we try to mix in some guests with coaches and, and players and whatnot. And um, we actually have a, a new podcast. It, it might actually already air before um, this one is released, Scott, but um, we have a, a podcast with Sam Spiegelman on three director recruiting that's slated to be released in the next couple of days talking about Avery Johnson. He's really high on Avery. Um, that one was recorded recently and talking about K-State recruiting in general. Um, and actually that was John and Derek that recorded that. That was one right of conflict. So I haven't heard it, but I heard he said some really great things. Um, so I'm excited to listen to it myself. I mean, some of these ones that I'm not on sometimes scheduling conflicts, it's exciting to hear what the other guys say. And, and we'll just continue to try and get guys on to talk recruiting because it's an exciting time. We'll get guests on from K-State. You know, hopefully we'll get Wyatt on again because I appreciate you saying that about Wyatt. D.Y. said it as soon as we finished recording that episode that that will be one of the more popular ones because it was really just a conversation. Like it was just us sitting there talking ball. And I think that was probably that's about the best content you can get. It's just having that conversation. And he was loose and shared some things there. Um, I don't mean loose in a bad way. He was just very comfortable with us. So we really appreciate Wyatt and looking forward to a great year, man. Um, look, my Twitter, if you want to see me anger up some Iowa State fans, some Nebraska fans, I'd like to go after Nebraska too. I'd like to tweet about how bad their O-line is and just go with evidence-based facts on that when they come after Adrian. Um, you can follow me at Cole underscore Manbeck. But uh, other than that, I mean, I'm not that exciting to follow. I got three kids. So, hey, you mix it in well. You mix it in well, my friend. So, that's all we have. Again, folks, check out Manhattan Brewing Company anytime you're in Manhattan. If you're listening to this on release day, we're going to be going live 7 p.m. on ColorCast. Uh, we're going to talk about RJ, the latest top 80 basketball commit, another blue chip commit, a combo that we haven't seen two top 80 guys since Bill Henry Walker and Michael Beasley. It's time to get excited there. And we're going to probably, probably – touch on some big 12s over and unders that's all we have cole thank you again for coming on boneheads we love you guys blitz month is going to continue to roll on uh hopefully going to have a pretty big time guest for you guys next week but i've learned my lesson actually saying who it may or may not be because then it falls through so i'm not gonna say it uh but we love you guys and we'll talk to you soon it's time to get set for the cat Attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be. With Kansas State, come on, set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State. Kansas State, our pride is with the
Social Podcast Network.